Walla Walla Music Fest returns to the Walla Walla Fairgrounds May 31st to June 1st featuring an incredible music lineup with Ben and Noel Haggard, Shane Prophet, Vegas McGraw, Colorblind, and Todd Hoffman. And don't miss the Crash Fest Demo Derby and the Rat Rod, Hot Rod, and Motorcycle Show. Grab your friends and family some blankets and relax on the lawn. Games, camping, food trucks, beer, and wine. Tickets are on sale now at WallaWallaFest.com. Veterans are free with military ID. It's all at the Walla Walla Music and Crash Fest May 31st through June 1st at the Walla Walla Fairgrounds. A haunted footpath in Wisconsin may hold chilling secrets. A true crime documentary captures the perfect moment when the horror may have become paranormal. It was the perfect location for fishermen for hundreds of years. And then eventually cut. And then we travel to the Soviet Union to uncover a deadly secret. Nobody knew what was going on on Rebirth Island until all of the animals dropped dead on the spot. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We've got a jam-packed episode today, so we are going to start off giving a shout-out to one of our legacy Patreon supporters, Reverend Samuel. Everyone, give a round of applause to Reverend Samuel. Pay him some tithe. Do that as well. Reverend Samuel actually emailed me the other day, a while back, uh, I think around the time that COVID was starting up. I had that 60 days to a better you, or maybe it was 30 days to a better you. It was one of the two. It was a period of time until a better you. And he actually, he is in a band called the Mad Cow Tippers, and he's shot music videos for this band. But he took that time period and he goes, you know what? I'm going to expand my skill set. And he took on the challenge of animating one of his band's music videos. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing um, that he was able to do this, that he was able to learn this skill. I, he's done illustrations, but he was like, I bought a tab. He said, thank you. Like, you inspired me to go out. It's funny. He started off by saying you inspired me to go out and buy a tablet. And I'm thinking, I didn't tell anyone to drop a bunch of money on a tablet. Are you trying to frame me? But anyways, he did. And I'm going to put the video in the show notes. You can check it out. It's called The Corona Queen. It's a, like a... Um, what type of song is that? It's like a that doesn't help. It's like a um folk song kind of thing, a little bit of a parody. It's a funny song, and the music video looks amazing. So I wanted to give a shout out to the Mad Cow Tippers. Definitely give a shout out to Reverend Samuel. He is our Patreon supporter for this episode. He's going to be our captain, our pilot, our Corona captain. Hopefully not. Hopefully we'll put him in a biohazard suit. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word out about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. But Reverend Samuel, let's go ahead and get you in the front seat of that Jason Jalopy. We are headed out to Wisconsin, specifically Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Cars driving cross country. This is an interesting story because we have an exact geographic location. You can visit this place, but there's little asterisks involved. So don't start backing up yet. Don't start backing up yet. This is Stevens Point, Wisconsin. There is a trail. It's about 2,500 feet long. Not super long. It's in between Cemetery Road and Little Chicago Road. Reverend Samuel drives us back to this area. It's the 1950s. It's back in time. Everything's sepia toned. We're walking around and... We see a Boy Scout troop walking through the woods. The Scoutmaster is pointing at rocks and stuff like that. Be like, look, branches, look at this, this is a branch. The kids are like, 
what is this? this is the worst scoutmaster ever he's like what we are walking on is something no one has dirt i don't even know what the boy scouts do don't they go out there and like make uh, arrows and stuff like that <laughs> we're getting ready for the revolution getting ready for the fall of man like you go and you hang out and then they go i want a fire badge so you have to learn how to make a fire and then you you make a fire and then you hope someone has the firefighter badge it's like, do you just hang out with them and you do different skills? Like, I'm climbing a tree. And they're like, Jason, get down from that tree. And then I get a get down from the tree badge. But I don't know anything about the Boy Scouts. But I do know about this story because I actually researched this. Boy Scouts and the Scoutmaster are walking through the woods. And the Scoutmaster goes, oh, this is a perfect place to earn our... <laughs> Scoutmaster's feet are tired and he wants the rest badge. And everyone's like, oh, not this badge again. They already have like 10 of those. Let's make camp here. So they do. They go a little bit off the trail and they make camp in the woods. And the sun sets and they're uh, throwing marshmallows uh, on sticks and stuff like that, making marshmallow. Uh, what are those things called? <laughs> they're called the verb. That is you. They're roasted marshmallows. I don't. Even, I don't think they're even called that. I just think they're called marshmallows. Anyways, anyways, sun sets. Everyone goes to sleep. And when the scoutmaster wakes up the next morning, oh, that was a good night's sleep. He's like, ah, scouts, wake up. It's time to go walking through the woods and stuff like that. Scouts? 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 His voice echoes through the woods. Scouts, where are you? Billy, Tommy, Jerry, Joe, Michael, Tito, where are you guys? Voice just is, no one's answering, I guess. I guess you get the point. No one's answering. And so he starts, like, looking in a little tent. Everyone's gone. He's there all alone. He's like, no, my one duty was to protect these kids. He takes down his protecting kids badge. He's like, ah, oh, I don't deserve this. He spent about an hour looking for the kids, and then he called the cops, because after an hour, like, what are you going to do? If you don't even find one of them, you got to get the cops involved. The cops come out, and they begin searching for the kids. It becomes a big search in this area. But this story took place in the fall. I should have said that earlier, but I'm saying it now. It takes place in the fall, and the Wisconsin winter is approaching. And the cops are like, listen, man, we've been looking for these kids for like a couple weeks now. And it's getting real it's getting real cold. I mean, unless you got some money for some nice fleece jackets, Scoutmaster. We're not we're not gonna be out there in the woods looking for these kids. So the Scoutmaster he didn't have Scoutmaster didn't have any money. The kids were never seen again. And to this day, that patch of land is known as Boy Scout Lane. And they say if you walk down this path late at night. <laughs> what was that? Oh no! What? <laughs> Sounds like someone's tickling a monkey, tickling a cartoon monkey. Those were Boy Scouts. It was supposed to be the laughter of boys. I've never heard a boy laugh in my life. I've never ever heard one. Apparently, <laughs> anyways, that's apparently the sound of Boy Scouts laughing in the darkness. This place is still haunted to this day now this story has been going around for quite a long time and of course people are going to look into this it's so sensational it's creepy and this is really what we know now um, there's been no <laughs> there's been no reports that we can find of a group of kids disappearing in the woods that's never been verified you think that would be big news one thing i've learned on this show is stuff you'd think would be big news it is but the farther back you go, the chances of being able to find newspaper articles regarding it, it gets a little more dicey. 
A good example of that is the episode we did recently called the one that I got the hate strike violation, the hate speech violation on YouTube for. The Lady Vanishes. Again, listen to it. There's nothing in there, but, you know, YouTube's going nuts. I got a hate speech violation for that episode, but apparently I don't like the French. The It was about these uh, mother and daughter. They're in France, and they disappeared. And you listen to the episode. It was a sensational story, and these journalists, these people looking into this, were able to track it back to an article that everyone thought didn't exist. So sometimes, And it took them, like, 50 years to find this article. So sometimes these events happen, but it's hard to track down any knowledge of it what makes me think this story is an urban legend is there's multiple versions of it so boy scout lane is the actual name of a place and people swear up and down that it's haunted but the origin story changes drastically that was the version i liked the best the other ones were the scouts are on a bus trip down boy scout lane but it wasn't named that at the time it was just a lane but it was more of a trail than anything apparently like from the photos of it so i don't know what the bus was doing off-roading well maybe this is why the bus went off-road and crashed into a tree and all the boy scouts burned to death on the bus that's one version of it that's why there's ghosts there the other one is that the scoutmaster went crazy and slaughtered all of the boy scouts and then when he realized what evil he had wrought he hung himself I don't want to tell. I don't want to tell that story for five, ten minutes, right? It's nothing entertaining about that. It's kind of grisly. That's the reason why there's those ghosts. And apparently, you can sometimes look up and see the ghost of the hanging dude in the tree. But I don't know. I've never been there. I mean, that seems like a bit of a retcon because none of the other stories have that. They're like, oh yeah, and I saw his ghost in the tree, just to make your story more believable. The funniest one, I thought, <laughs> your mileage may vary on how funny you think it is. Is that the scouts at night when the scoutmaster was asleep, the scouts go, you know, it'd be really keen, guys. Let's go exploring in the woods. Let's do this. And let's take this oil lantern with us. Let's put in extra oil and we'll all carry bags of oil on us in case we run out of oil. And they're walking through the forest with an oil lantern and one of them butterfingers it, straight drops it, starts a forest fire and it surrounds them and they all burn to death. Now you're like, Jason, that's not fair. Just so that's horrifying. That's not funny. Well, it's kind of funny because... Okay, so maybe it's not super funny. I just thought the image of a Boy Scout tripping, <laughs> tripping and setting the forest on fire. I guess it's not super funny. But I mean, out of those, <laughs> out of those options, it's the funniest. The bus catching on fire. That's not funny. That's horrifying. The Scoutmaster murdering everybody. The prize. Let's give a prize. We'll do this for this episode only. The paranormal prize goes to... Entire troop missing due to mysterious circumstances. Yay! And then runner-up is them all burning to death because some kid's too clumsy and sets everyone on fire. But anyway, so that is the story. The reason why I wanted to profile this is, one, because it's an interesting story. But two, I've talked about this a lot on the show. I'm very suspicious of... This is weird because you know how much I hate people who lie to get money. Talking about all these crazy events, they're they're grifters. I also have a weird suspicion of anti-grifters. If... Something falls into your lap, you happen to buy a house, it turns out to be a haunted murder house, and everyone wants to visit it, and you're like, no, I want to live here, I want to live here with the murder ghost all by myself, because I'm super lonely, now I finally have friends, and they can never leave, and the ghosts are like, please, please exercise us, they're like banging on the windows, let us out, let us out, they're calling out for priests walking down the street, hey, get rid of us. I find that weird, that people have, like, stole cemetery, they could turn that into a huge tourist attraction like um that town roswell roswell had a whole television show based on it stole cemetery they could turn the town into a tourist attraction um there was another one we did it was uh something in connecticut 
was it saying the Dark Forest Society or the Dark Forest Entity or something like that. There was a company that bought up this section of forest that everyone thought was haunted, and they don't let anyone inside of it. This is the same thing. Now Boy Scout Lane is private property, and if you go there, it's likely you'll get arrested. If I came across property that was haunted, I would totally charge people money to go through it. I would probably probably hang a fake body from a tree and hire a bunch of little kids to run around in the woods laughing. Actually, I'd probably just record their laughter and be like, job well done, kids. They're like, what? How much am I going to get paid for this? I'm like, yeah, you get paid in being famous in the woods. But anyways, I would... Now I've outed myself as a fraudster. You don't, Okay, maybe not commit fraud. But you know what I mean? Like, I'm always surprised people aren't... It's more suspicious to me. I don't think the kids vanished or they set themselves on fire or anything like that. I think it's more suspicious that somebody bought this property and is now not letting anyone on the property. That makes me think the place is actually haunted. And it might even be more than haunted. It may be a gateway. Because why else wouldn't you want anyone else to go there? Unless maybe maybe you're just a private person. But why would you buy a chunk of woods, a 2,500-foot path? Declare it private property. That makes me more suspicious there's something else going on here. But suspicions aside, Reverend Samuel, fire up that dead rabbit dirigible we are leaving behind wisconsin we are headed out to frederick colorado dirigibles flying over the country this story actually started with a recommendation from killer rip 987 i was doing a patreon exclusive live stream this was about a month ago we were talking about a bunch of different stuff which we normally do on the live streams and killer rip 987 said have you seen the Netflix documentary, American Murder, The Family Next Door? And I hadn't. I hadn't. I was familiar with the case it was based on, but I hadn't seen the documentary. Now, this is a story and a Dead Rabbit Recommends. Dead Rabbit Recommends you watching American Murder, The Family Next Door. It's available on Netflix. It's a full hour and a half long documentary. There's no narrator. There's no reenactments. There's nothing in the documentary that is used except for footage taken. There's a ter- there's a film term for it where you only use existing film stock. It is a true crime story told through the eyes of Facebook videos, cop, police officer body cams, residential ring cameras on people's houses. The entire documentary is told through that type of existing footage. And it's the story of a man, his wife, and their two daughters. It's brilliant. I've never seen a documentary made like that. It's, it's a very, very well done film. So thank you, Killer Rip 987 I recommend you guys watching that. But what's interesting is there's a scene in the movie. So it's all existing footage. It all was made by people on the ground. And not like camera crews, like footage being taken by police officer body cams. You can't create moments like this. There's a moment in the documentary very, very early on when his wife and his daughters are first declared missing. And they go, the police officer shows up with his body cam. And they go and they talk to Chris Watts, which is the husband. And they go to his neighbor's house, who has a security camera set up outside his house. They go to the neighbor. They go, your camera faces my house, right? And he's like, yeah, you, we've been having break-ins, so my camera actually is set up this way. Now, he has his remote control. They're watching television. He's getting ready to switch the television over to the camera channel, right? The, the, the personal surveillance channel. He's basically changing channels from what he was watching on television 
to the replay of the previous night's events when Chris Watts was the the the, the father when Chris Watts' wife and daughters went missing. The cop's like, can we see that footage? And he's like, yeah, sure. And as the channel is changing, a commercial comes up for American Horror Story, Apocalypse. We're from the point of view of the police officer. He's standing in this guy's living room. So you have the neighbor, you have Chris Watts standing next to this big screen television set, and the neighbor's getting ready to change the channel. The American Horror Story, Apocalypse ad starts off. And one of the images shows a fetus inside an hourglass. And Chris Watts looks at the television. He's waiting for it to change to the surveillance video. He looks at the television, then he looks up at the officer and goes, my wife is pregnant, by the way. 18 weeks. The cop is just kind of, it's kind of silent for a second. Right? No, the neighbor didn't know she was pregnant. Cop didn't know. And the ad continues to play. And this is a bit of a spoiler for the movie, so if you don't want to be spoiled, skip ahead a minute or two the ad continues to play and you can watch the ad as well have it in the show notes you see a woman laying in a pit and then oil covers her skin and dissolves everything showing nothing but a skull and then these hands come out of the oil and pulls the skull into the ground and then the video clicks over to the ring video showing the street the night before. American Horror Story Apocalypse is about the end of the world. So in American Horror Story tends to have these weird visual visuals in their ads and things like that. It was perfect timing that this ad was playing during this investigation. What ended up happening is Chris Watts, we only have his version of the story, but Chris Watts said that he suffocated his wife And then went into his children's bedrooms. They were like eight and six or something like that. And took the girls out of the bedrooms and say, we need to go for a drive. And the girls were obviously saying, what's wrong with mommy? And he's like, mommy's just sleeping. Mommy's just sleeping. Mommy is like tucked in underneath the seat of the the vehicle, like the SUV. And he takes his two children and his wife out to his job site a remote oil facility. It was these giant oil reservoirs. That's where he worked out in the middle of Colorado. These giant tanks of oil. When he gets out there, he goes to the back seat. He has a blanket. He puts it over the head of one of the girls and suffocates her. And then he does the same thing to the other girl. He's now murdered his entire family. He buries his wife. And he takes his two daughters up to the top of the reservoir. And there's a little hole at the top. And he pushes their bodies into the oily darkness and closes the reservoir. A tragic story, obviously. He was found guilty. He's in prison for the rest of his life. But that ad told that story. And it's interesting. The visual of the fetus appearing on screen is what provoked him to say, my wife is pregnant, by the way. Detail that wasn't revealed to any of the friends and family. It was a really, really bizarre moment for this documentary. So give it a shot. Watch American Murder, The Family Next Door. I mean, even with knowing the... I knew the ending. I had read the articles when this was all going on. But as far as like a, just a film, it's, it's very, very well made. And then check for that moment. I want to give a shout out to... There was a Reddit... You, I, when I was watching the documentary, that... Stuck out to me, that scene. But then Reddit user Debar10 
clipped it, put it on Reddit. So if you just want to watch that scene, it's going to be in the show notes. But Reverend Samuel, let's leave behind Colorado. Call in that Carpenter copter. We are headed out to the Soviet Union. <laughs> Helicopter is flying out there. This was actually a request from Igor Lukian on YouTube. So thank you very much for uh, sending this. It was a really interesting story. And I got most, if not all, of this information from Zaria Gorvet. Um, she's a journalist, and she wrote this article for Reuters. So amazing job on this. Reverend Samuel, you see that little island sitting there in the Aral Sea? That is Vosrozadinia Island, right? Reverend Samuel's shaking his head. It's like, that's not how you pronounce it. I'm like, I don't know. We don't know. But it might not. But it's known as Rebirth Island, or it used to be known as Rebirth Island. It, It doesn't exist anymore. But we're back in the year 1948, and we see a bunch of Soviet troops bringing barges onto the island. They said, you know what, this is the perfect place to set up our bioweapons laboratory. Because it's nowhere near, it's nowhere near anywhere important in the Soviet Union. We just recently discovered it. Is this island in the middle of the Aral Sea. It didn't even appear on maps in the Soviet Union. They had discovered it like a hundred years before 1948. Very, very recent find. So they go, if we just found it, then we know the United States doesn't have anything on it. And if anything does go wrong, I mean, like, whatever. It's, it's not going to help the wildlife here. There are fishing villages around the island, but, you know, it's not going to hurt Moscow or Leningrad or anything like that. They set this place up and they start going to town. Not literally. They're like, hey, take this to town. It's like, no, no, no. It's just a figure of speech. Anthrax, smallpox, Black Plague, all of the hits, all of the classics. They are trying to create stores of weapons, of bioweapons on this island. But that's not all. They also want to make these weapons as lethal as possible. The whole complex ended up being called Arlsk 7. It's one of the most secure compounds in the Soviet Union. Nothing could get in, nothing could get out. You needed to take a boat or a plane, which made it actually perfect, so you couldn't worry about someone accidentally, you know, like butterfingering a can of Black Plague. They hire some Boy Scouts to work over there. Whoops! You didn't have to worry about that. And if it did happen... Well, I mean, <laughs> tough nuggets to that dude. But you don't have to worry about him taking a train at Stalingrad or something like that. But people did fish in that area. It's the fourth largest sea in the world. So you had a bunch of fishermen. You had a bunch of fish. In 1971, there was a young scientist on a boat headed towards Arlesque 7. She's on the fish. It's a normal crew. It's a normal day. But a brown haze appears to be floating over the water. She's like, that's not on that's not on the map, right? <coughs> the boat goes through the haze. Because I don't think they I don't think they had a chance to turn around. I don't think they're like, well, let's find out what that is. We're only near a massive bioweapon facility. She was headed there. She knew what it was capable of. She actually had already been vaccinated against weaponized smallpox. Not just regular smallpox. She wasn't just rubbing up against cows that had boils on them. This was smallpox that was designed to be used to kill humans. Even though she had the vaccine, she still got it. She still came down with this smallpox. She ended up taking it back to her town, her hometown. She's probably like, I don't feel good. I'm going to call in sick to work today. I got to go back home. Three people in her hometown died. She survived, but she spread it. In 1972... Fishermen in the area see a fishing boat out in the middle of nowhere. 
going over the waves. They don't see anyone fishing. So is it a fishing boat? Is it a fishing boat if no one's fishing from it? That's a philosophical question. They find on this fishing boat two dead bodies. Both died of the Black Plague. That same year, fishermen all over the area are pulling up nets of nothing but dead fish. 1988. Within one hour, 50,000 antelope dropped dead. They weren't on the island. But, I mean, you know, (laughs) I don't think anyone was like, oh, they might have all just seen a scary movie. Even though they weren't located on the island, the idea was something got off the island, this island nothing was supposed to leave from, 50,000 antelope dropped dead within an hour. That same year in an other part of the Soviet Union, a massive anthrax leak. This wasn't, they didn't have everything stored on this island. Don't put all your bioweapons in one basket. They were working on another part of the Soviet Union. Anthrax leaked out. 105 people killed like that. Now, it could have been worse. It could have been 50,000, but still, that's a lot of people. The Soviet Union's like, oh, great. Anthrax is actually one of the hardest things to kill. And they've weaponized it. And I keep using the word weaponized. What they did with anthrax is they actually made it smaller. So it's easier to breathe in. When you breathe it in, a lot of times, good old, you know, good old fashioned anthrax, your grandpa's anthrax, will get stuck in your nose hairs, get stuck in your sinus cavities and stuff like that. It won't get into the lungs where it belongs. So they actually made it. They actually weaponized anthrax by making it smaller. So when you breathe it in, it's going in you. It will kill you. It doesn't clump up. Anthrax also normally just makes you hemorrhage, which when I say just makes you hemorrhage is saying, oh, he just got hit by a train. Hemorrhaging is pretty bad. They made this stuff as small as a human hair so it could fly right into your nose. Not only would it cause you to hemorrhage, it would cause your flesh to rot as well. So even if they could somehow stop the bleeding, you're basically turning into a zombie anyways. That's what it means by weaponizing it. It wasn't like they just put it in a bullet and shot it at you. They were actually making it easier. They were jumping 10,000 years ahead in evolution, trying to create the most perfect deadly disease. But what happened was they had this leak in another part of the Soviet Union. It's really, really hard to kill anthrax. You just can't grab, you just can't grab some Clorox wipes. So they go, what are we going to do with all this anthrax we've created in this laboratory on the other side of the Soviet Union? And someone goes, I know where we can, <laughs> where we can put it. Let's take it to Varazdadinia Island. And they're like, where's that? And he goes, let me just point it out on the map. Rebirth Island. They're like there. Now they have one to 200 tons of anthrax. And they're digging trenches on the island. And they're pouring anthrax in with bleach. That's what they're using. Even though that doesn't work at all. They're pouring anthrax in. They're pouring just a little bit of bleach. I don't know if they had 100 to 200 tons of bleach. but And then they bury it. These pits that they were digging to bury this stuff in. They were so large. These pits were so huge. It wasn't like they just dug straight down like Minecraft. Like, 1 to 200 tons is a lot of stuff. They were so huge. You had people in the United States watching spy satellites? No joke. They saw these giant trenches, and they're like, oh, great, what are they doing? And then they start to see all these trucks come in, and they're like, uh... And they're watching them pour in all this liquid, and then they see the bleach show up, and they're like, uh, Mr. President, I think we have a problem. The United States actually called up the Soviet Union and said, "Hey guys, we saw what you did. We saw what you did last summer. We will give you money to help you properly dispose of this because this is such a bad idea. Like I know we're in a cold war and sometimes it's a hot war. We're currently fighting all over the Middle East and in South America. 
but, but let us help you out with this, guys. And Soviet Union was like, yeah, we probably do need a little help with 100 to 200 tons of weaponized anthrax. So now it's the year 1991, and we're walking around Arlisk 7. It's a ghost town. It was a literal town. Like, you had all your scientists living there and their families. The kids are out playing with balls. They're knocking over beakers. They're like, Billy, no, you've doomed us all. Ah. You had kids out there playing football and stuff like that. It was a town on this island that also had this bioweapons facility. And then, like, off the, oh, you know, about a mile outside of town, you had these giant pits of anthrax. They were able to dig up a bunch of it. They were able to destroy more of it. But again, I wouldn't plan a summer vacation there. But again, the island doesn't exist. It doesn't exist anymore. Soil was completely contaminated. It's the year 1991. The Cold War is winding down. And so the Soviet Union is just like, uh, you guys can just leave. And they're like, what? And they're like, just leave. Just leave now. <laughs> Everyone leave now. I don't actually know why they bounced, but the whole town left. Maybe they all went to Boy Scout Lane. There was just a scoutmaster there to this day. They were basically just let go. They are all ordered to leave. And they just left all the biological weapons there. Now, I'm sure they took one or two, like, really good ones as insurance. The boss is like, fire me, will you? Take this, Gorbachev. I'm sure that the Soviet military kept some of the more sugar ones, but you can go there today. You can literally go there today. I keep saying the island doesn't exist anymore. I'll get to that in a second. You can charter a boat there today, walk around in a full hazmat suit, and pick up bottles and stuff like that. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. The journalist went on one of these trips, and they were like smugglers there, and they were stealing steel, coppering copper, doing all that stuff. But there's biological agents still there. Uh, it's actually also a level on Call of Duty. So if you guys recognized when I pronounced that name expertly uh, right away, you can be like, oh, yeah, dude, I got so many headshots on that level. Yeah, it's actually a real place that was creating weapons that'll kill everybody. But the soil's contaminated. There's a bunch of biological contaminants in jars there as well. You just imagine a few of them have been broken by squirrels, mutated squirrels over the years. You can visit it. But I keep saying the island doesn't exist anymore because it doesn't. It's a peninsula now. The sea has dried up so much in that area that you can literally walk to an island that was chosen because it's hard to get to. You can walk across the dirt to this place where mankind tried to create the perfect weapon and succeeded. You always got to think about these time bombs out there. You have a government create something so toxic it could kill 50,000 antelope in an hour. They just drop dead. You know that's sitting in a laboratory somewhere. And sure, the United States has biological weapons. All nations have these. No, maybe not all of them. I don't think that Antigua is sitting on a supply of weaponized smallpox. But this is something that militaries do. And we know that as rational people. We may not agree with it, but we know that it exists. However, we hope that they're responsible in the production of them and the use of them. But when you have these bioweapon labs that just are abandoned and become part of nature, that were chosen for their remoteness, now easily accessible, that's terrifying. I'm not really worried about humans going there and trying to steal the weapons, Al-Qaeda or ISIS or anything like that, trying to get these biological weapons. I'm not really concerned about that. It's easier for them to... I'm concerned about them having those weapons, but it's just as easy for them to buy them. I'm more worried about the natural world reclaiming that island and dispensing these toxins. An oak tree growing up in the middle of a laboratory, knocking vials left and right. 
a curious rodent grabbing a test tube, taking it back to the mainland. A bird looking for prey carries something shiny away. That's my concern. Because when you mess around with the natural world, a lot of times the natural world pushes back. It does. It's not sentient, but just through fate and time and accident and synchronicity, things happen. One day it could be 50,000 antelope killed. Tomorrow it could be 100,000 mammals dead in a 50-kilometer radius. Five weeks later, the numbers double, they triple. We've seen with this COVID crisis that it doesn't take much to push humanity to the brink. And that was a respiratory disease that targets people with underlying conditions. What was worked on this island, now peninsula, was created to kill mankind. If you thought the lockdowns were rough, things could get a thousand times worse any day that a curious animal decides to carry a virus off of Rebirth Island. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.